Hello and welcome to the MB Ohm Podcast, where you will learn to master the business of yoga with guests from around the world who have experienced becoming successful yoga teachers, studio owners, and much more. Now, here's your host, Amanda Kingsmith. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MBM podcast. I'm really excited for this episode of the podcast. I'm talking with Taylor Harkness, who is currently based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting Taylor back for a birthday event for Karen Christensen, who's also been on the podcast. And I didn't really know who Taylor was. I just was warmed by his smile and his like, oh no, we don't need to shake hands. Let's just hug kind of vibe. And then he kind of continually came up in conversations that I had with other yoga teachers and stuff like that. And then I was looking for guests for the podcast and he came back into the forefront of my mind and I was like, yes, he would be awesome. And so huge gratitude to Taylor for saying yes to come on the podcast. This episode was super fun to record. We talked about so many different things, the evolution of his career and everything that he's learned from being a teacher to managing a yoga studio to running retreats to the importance of authenticity on social media and so much more. So I won't spoil anything else. And without further ado, here's Taylor. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Taylor. It's super cool to have you here. Ah, Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And you're joining me from Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. My former hometown, no longer my hometown. <laughs> or I guess it was never my hometown, but you were here for how long? I was there for nine months. Nice. You got to see hopefully the best parts of it. Yeah, definitely. I, I loved Atlanta, so I feel good about it. I left loving it outside of the traffic, of course. Yeah, that's probably not the best part of it. <laughs> that's the that's the, the worst part of it. But Atlanta's got a, a lot of good stuff to offer. So Definitely. It's a pretty cool city, and it's got an amazing yoga scene, which I was pretty happy about. Yeah, big time. Yeah, and so I'd love to start with just talking about how you first got into yoga. Okay. All right, so I first got into yoga. Um, I was working as a paramedic uh, and going to school full-time, so my undergrad was in psychology at University of uh, Central Florida, UCF. Go Knights! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was working full time and going to school full time, and I never really had the like full college experience. I didn't. I didn't live on campus. I moved out when I was pretty young. Put myself through school the whole time, um, and I really, really liked. I liked EMS. I liked what I was studying. My undergrad was in psychology, but first I went through you know EMT school, then paramedic school, and was working. And um, you know, I, I had this long kind of long time goal, even as a kid, to be a, a doctor, and this was something that was supposed to set me apart. Um, you know, grades and, and 4.0s and all that stuff are, are a dime a dozen when you're applying to medical school, especially the ones that you really want to get into. So this is a way to get some some hands-on experience, some patient experience. And I loved it for the most part. I had a really fantastic, um, uh, you know, brief career. Uh, since 2008, I've been a, a paramedic and a registered licensed DMT. Um, but I stopped around 2013, so like five or five and a half years I was practicing and, and I got to see a lot of really amazing stuff that, you know, grows you up. And, and, um, I also got to see some not so great stuff and I got moved to a very, very busy truck that ran all night so that I could go to school during the day. And that was life for pretty much all of undergrad was, you know, running all night, uh, in an area that was very, 
riddled with crime and drug abuse and child abuse, and um, it was very impoverished. So this was an area where, you know, people at nighttime, often the, the things that they would turn to to entertain themselves were drugs and alcohol. And so we ran a lot of assaults and a lot of stabbings, a lot of gunshot wounds, and just a lot of really just people beating each other up for no other reason than this is what we do on a Friday night. We get drunk and beat each other up. So uh, luckily... I had I was a rock climber at the time as well in very very flat Florida. <laughs> not a whole lot to climb there, so I was climbing at a gym. Uh, that you know the whole reason that I even got into rock climbing was because I was a paramedic and the one of the nurses in the emergency room was like, oh you should try this sometime. I go you know three or four times a week. Let's go together. So she took me to this gym and I started climbing and that was really my my like physical routine and my my outlet. And then it got to be where we were climbing so much that you know, indoors, the routes only change so often. And so we're kind of getting bored with climbing after a couple of years into it. And she said, you know, what if we go try a yoga class? And I thought yoga was just like, like stretching. <laughs> I, I said, sure. I mean, I could take a break. Uh, I've been burning the candle at both ends. I can go and sit in a room with a bunch of old ladies and hum to myself. <laughs> <laughs> And so went and had my my ass actually like handed to me in a sweaty, floppy mess towards the end. Was just like, here you go. Here's your butt that you walked in with. It's no longer attached because this teacher was just. <laughs> I mean, she was uh, from start to finish the most intense yet positive, but just very physically intense uh, sequencing and long sequences and. She was going to make you sweat and she was going to make you work no matter what. And I was not expecting that. I had no idea. But there was also this weird feeling of I liked it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like like it didn't just kick my butt in a way that made me want to leave and never come back. It kicked my butt in a way that the next day I was like, I want to go try that again because I'm sore in all the right spots and it feels good. And so I, I traded out one day a week of rock climbing for yoga and built my own little practice until it was two days a week and three days a week. And eventually... Um, almost every day with the same teacher. She was, uh, you know, very, very physically demanding. And I liked that at that moment in my life. That's what I was, what I was looking for. And at the same time I was getting this bodily awareness that I don't think I ever really had. Um, I joke that, you know, I, I've always had really flat feet and I have a lazy eye. <laughs> so growing up, I was not the most like stereotypically athletic kind of person, you know, and yoga was the first time that I felt athletic, that I felt like I was capable and that I felt that I was strong and that, you know, in my own body, I was, I was confident because I couldn't catch a ball because I couldn't see it coming at me, but I could naturally, you know, move into some of the deeper flexibility and ranges of motion and, and the strength that you have in yoga that came from my body type that came, that came naturally. And that was, I think what saved me from, you know, <laughs> being a total wreck on the ambulance. <laughs> it was just going to full time, working full time. And then yoga was like, Hey buddy, check in, check in and, and take care of yourself. And, and I did. So, yeah, I love that story. And it's, it's something I can relate to too. I'm left-handed. And so I feel like they often teach like sports for right-handed people and because it's a right-handed yes. world, it's like, I can do things both ways. So I also can't catch a ball, but it's because I'm like, I don't know which hand to use a mitt with. <laughs> like, I don't know. And <laughs> the <then> it, <laughs> yeah. And then it just whacks me in the face. So it's just not good. <laughs> so I can definitely relate to that experience. Like something that brings you into your body and you're like, whoa, I can like actually do this. This is cool. So we're not, you and I probably weren't the first ones chosen for 
you know, the athletic teams or for kickball or for soccer or for, you know, playing catch, but we're still athletic in our own way. And yoga, you know, was the first time that I ever felt that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing experience to feel like you can actually do something with your physical body. Yes. It, uh, it kind of drops you. Well, I mean, if anyone's listening, obviously yogis that are listening know that this is, it drops you into the moment. And I think that being, you know, you can explore your mind and, and your brain as much as you want, but actually having that connection between the mind and the body in that moment is really, for me at least, the best way to get present. And so I think yoga, you know, thank goodness I, I caught it, you know, early on in my late teens, early 20s, but but I think yoga was the first time that I ever recognized what that word even meant, presence, and that was just because of the physical. So we can't, you know, deny I know a lot of people hate on the physical aspects of yoga, but, you know, because it's only one one of the branches, but, you know, for a lot of us, that's what hooks us. That's what gets us into yoga is going, hey, you're more capable than you think. And also check out this really cool thing called mindfulness. <laughs> totally, totally. It's like you feel this good thing in your body and then you also leave and you're like, I've never really like felt this way in my mind either. Yeah. Or, or those muscles that you didn't know you have or, you know, just being more aware of like when you eat actually what you feel after you eat or after you drink coffee or after you have, you know, a milkshake or just it, it, it calls to mind more awareness of what's going on. And that was the first time I'd ever realized that was even possible. I, I, you know, you kind of just walk through, walk through blindly until you, you feel that. And then, you know, it, it was an awakening moment. So very grateful for, for the fact that you know, I was so stressed enough that I was, you know, it's, it's rare that you can say I'm grateful for my stress, but I was grateful that, you know, I was so stressed enough that I actually wanted to turn to something that, that woke me up, I think. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And then in terms of going from practitioner to teacher, what was that process like for you? Um, oh, goodness. Okay, so while I was practicing, uh, I... I was practicing with a lady named Timmy Howard out of uh, Central Florida in in Lake Mary, Florida, and she, um, you know, I think she noticed that when I would show up to class, yoga for me because that was such a new like frontier. It was a new adventure for me and my body and 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 being in the moment. I wanted to share that, so I was always the one that was like bringing a friend or bringing multiple friends, and uh, you know, if someone was, you know, while we're giggling on our mats, she used to actually threatened to kick me out of class because we're <laughs> giggling so much. But while we're giggling, you know, I, I just had this way of, of saying, you know, hey, if you if you fall out of a pose, try it again. Or if you don't think you can do it, try it this way. Or if you're losing, if you're getting frustrated, you know, to the friends that I would bring, if you're getting frustrated because you don't feel like you can do this, try it this way. Or relax, take a breath, take a breather, drop down. And I think she saw that aspect of just during my own practice, wanting to be there for other people that I was bringing to make sure they were having a good time on their mat. And she said that, you know, that aspect of your practice is special that you should share that and you should consider going through a teacher training, even if you don't want to teach, because I did not want to teach. Even if you don't want to teach, just do it in a way that, you know, you'll learn more about the practice because obviously you're hungry for this. You're hungry for this and you, you're a learner. So, um, it was after a, a long stint of a few rough back-to-back shifts on, on an ambulance, and I was always making up excuses like, no, I can't, I, I don't have the money, or I don't have the time, or I'm already in school, I can't, I can't do this you know, teacher training, and it happened to be summer, so I had a lighter class load, and it was 
Sunday night, I remember it really clearly, Sunday night at like 2 o'clock in the morning, I, uh, I had a really rough call and I got back to the station and just thought, I need to do something different because I'm, I'm losing myself. You know, I didn't, I didn't really like people at that point. I, I, you know, I was dealing with the toxicity that we, you know, mentioned earlier of just people not taking care of themselves and beating each other up. And I was so sick of seeing that. But I knew on the other side of it, yoga was so, so much fun and so special. And that was where I was giggling and that was where I was having a good time that I wanted to jump in more. So I actually emailed her at like two o'clock in the morning on <laughs> Sunday. So I guess Monday morning. And she wrote back right then and there, whatever it takes, let's do it. And that next Wednesday, so just a couple of days later, I jumped in, had a really fantastic teacher training that, you know, was albeit, uh, it, was, it was the most intensely physical, uh, physically demanding, I think, thing that I've ever put myself through, uh, ever. And I'm, again, grateful for that because it woke me up in a lot of different ways within my body that I can, I can do this stuff. Uh, but now that's no longer a part of my practice as I've kind of moved on and progressed. I, I no longer want the, the extreme physicality of it. But, you know, she gave me a skill set that that wanted that I wanted to share and that I wanted other people to say, like, hey, if you've never felt athletic, if you've never felt confident about your body, there's this really cool way that I felt that I felt it and found found this this yoga thing. So I started teaching after I finished at her studio. I started teaching a couple classes and still working full time and going to school, but you know, that allowed me to, to not have to pick up so much overtime because now I had this, you know, kind of part-time job teaching yoga and then realized the more that I did that, the happier I was <laughs> and the less stressed I was and the more I could sleep. And, um, so I eventually went to part-time on the ambulance and kind of full-time yogi. And then, eventually just wean myself off the ambulance altogether as, as uh, you know, more and more classes picked up. And as I could then pay the bills, uh, it, it took a while, but, and a lot of hard work, but I was, I was really happy that my schedule became my own schedule. And this was something I was more passionate about with sharing what lit me up versus, you know, the, the stress and toxic levels of, of having to, to be behind, you know, lights and sirens all the time and late nights and, it was, uh, it was good. I'm really, really grateful for it. So thank you. If she's listening out there, thank you to Timmy. <laughs> she's, she's the one that, you know, pulled me out of it. That's amazing. It's so cool to hear a story like that. of just like really changing your life through your practice and then being able to share that with other people as a teacher. Um, I'd love to hear about the evolution of your career a little bit. Okay. Um, the evolution of my career. Let's see. So, um, after I got to the point where I was teaching several regular classes, you know, from those classes, you also get uh, people that show up to your classes and they want more, um, whether it's uh, workshops or whether it's just private one-on-one -on -one time. So I really put a big effort and focus early on in teaching as much as I could. Um, I would teach a lot of free classes. I would teach a lot of karma classes. I would teach, you know, yoga in the park. I would teach community classes for other teacher trainees. Um, and then I would teach private yoga lessons and I had a lot of private clients that couldn't really afford yoga lessons with other teachers, but I was brand new. So it was like, Hey, throw me 20 bucks for an hour, hour and a half. And you know, that for me is gas money and a, and a sandwich. So <laughs> I was happy to do that. And, and you learn so much in those first, you know, your 200 hour teacher training doesn't really teach you a whole lot. I always thought that after your 200 hours, you're, you're done, but it really just shows you kind of what 
questions you need to ask moving forward. So, you know, I had a solid enough teacher training that, plus my anatomical background from being in medicine, that I knew what questions to ask and I knew what I didn't know. And so I used private clients and I used, you know, teaching as much free yoga and, and yoga all over the place, whether it was, you know, different studios or, or conferences or festivals that I could, anything I could get into, I would teach, teach, teach. And there is a balance there because for, you know, a while it was really fun and then I realized, okay, now you're swinging the pendulum just like on the ambulance too much overtime. Now you're working yourself too hard as a yoga teacher, you know? So, uh, I had to reel it back a little bit, but what it taught me was there are so many different bodies and so many different injuries, so many different proportions, so many different anatomical different things that one private client is completely different from another, whether it's whether mentally, whether at physically, whether at with their practice, then you take that and apply it to larger classes. Let's say you even have 10 or 15 people in a class, apply that same rule that if you have 15 warrior ones, you don't have 15 of the same pose. You actually have 15 different unique warrior ones, you know, like each person has their own, uh, you know, previous knee injury or proportion of the way their femur connects into their hip socket or, you know, shoulder uh, tensity and, and the way that they, they hold themselves. So early on, I realized you got to watch people and you have to show up for each one of those individual people that are there in your classroom and not just throw out these, you know, blanket statements as a yoga teacher, you know, for a lot of people, heel to heel and warrior one works, but heel to heel doesn't always work for everybody. So at an early, you know, point of a yoga teacher, I learned, I learned to change it up and to get people into their bodies. So that I think caught on because this was, you know, the, Yoga for a long time has been very traditional and it's been very, well, you do this because your teacher told you to do this because their teacher told them to do that and because their teacher told them to do that, you know? So very, very seldomly where people actually give them permission to like actually change up your stance a little bit. If it's more comfortable for you to hold yourself this way, do it that way. And if it doesn't hurt, you know, to do it this way, then try it this way. And, and that caught on. And so out of those, you know, hundreds, I would say maybe even thousands of hours of, of free classes that I was teaching, you're probably going to run across a studio owner and in that studio owner, you know, or in that class, that studio owner, if they like what you're throwing down, might come up to you after and say, Hey, you want to come teach at my studio and teach a workshop about this? Well, sure. That means I've got to sit down and actually formulate a two and a half or three hour workshop about this one thing. So it, it, it again, dives you deeper, even more so into the practice and you got to back it up. So, you know, all these classes turned into teaching workshops, maybe at a festival or at another, you know, if, if you're at a festival, and there are two or three teachers in that festival and they say, I really love what you did. You know, would you consider coming to teach at my studio? Then you get maybe two or three other gigs just from that one free festival that you did, you know, and then from each of those, you get maybe two or three other gigs from, from teachers showing up there. So it, it kind of took on this life of its own of as long as you put in the work and you, you make it accessible and you, you show up for people, hopefully there's one or two people in the audience that will invite you to do something else, you know, and, and then, it kind of caught on and eventually I realized that traveling and teaching and, and, and doing what, you know, more of the, the intellectual, the, the really anatomical, the very smarter stuff behind flow so that people can then take it and bring it back into their regular practices. That was my passion. So no longer did I love teaching. I mean, I still do, but I don't love as much teaching, you know, an hour long flow class. I'd rather sit down with you if you can't tell I'm a talker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> down with you for two and a half or three hours and go over like, 
why you feel it this way and you know what's happening when you're engaging this musculature and how we can shift this over here so that you don't feel pain in this knee or you know i love the the real fine integral work that i think that is what a lot of people are seeking and so if you can tap into that market and really give something to offer then it turned into you know studios started inviting me and social media they'd you know see something i wrote or or a post that I made about the knee or about the shoulder, and, and they'd say, hey, come teach this over here, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. That's, that's kind of been the evolution. <laughs> that's, that's really cool to hear. I think that that's, it sounds like it was like a really organic evolution. And I think that it's really interesting that you started teaching for free because it's something that it's kind of like talked about when you come out of teacher training. It's like, should you take on free classes? How long should you take free classes on for? How many should you do? Like, should you be a yes man for everything? And I'm curious about your opinion on that. Yeah, I think when you first start teaching, teach as much as you can. But that being said, you have to teach as much as you can while maintaining your own personal practice and your passion for teaching. Doing too much of anything, you're going to burn out. So whether that means, you know, being a paramedic or being a dentist or, you know, teaching yoga, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. And so, I mean, trust me, on these, the, the weekends that I travel and teach five or six three-hour workshops in a weekend, I get home on Sunday night or Monday morning and I, I, the last thing I want to do is talk about yoga or think about yoga or get on my mat and practice yoga. But then I will take time off to do other things and get my passion back for another week or so and then go back to a yoga class and start practicing again. So, so I definitely agree that you should teach as much as you can and, and put yourself out there. That's how you're going to learn, but stay humble in it for sure. So, you know, when you're teaching, admit what you don't know. I think a lot of teachers, when they first come out, they start teaching all over the place and then they, they feel like they have to be the expert. You know, they have to know things. You're new to this, you know, so, so let this be a learning experience for you as well. Your students have just as much to teach you as you do to teach them. So, so learn as much as you can, stay hungry for it, read as much as you can about yoga, you know, watch videos, practice with more experienced teachers, but also take time for yourself to not do yoga. Take time for yourself to, to not even have to think about yoga. And you'll find that that's where a lot more inspiration, I think, comes. When I'm feeling like I'm burnt out on yoga, I'll read a book. You know, fiction is a great way to kind of reconfigure how you talk to people because there's creative language, you know, or I'll just binge watch something on Netflix, <laughs> you know, cuddle up with the dog and just watch a bunch of shows and not even think about yoga or class descriptions or when I got to teach next and just veg out because that's where I think your creativity is born is this, this, this place of, you know, not not being so entrenched in the minutia of it all, you know? So if you can just teach as much as you can in a way that benefits you, so teach as much as you can in a way that you're still learning, you're still hungry, you're loving it, but not overdo it to a way that you don't want to show up. Anytime that you go, you know what? I just, God, I got to go teach and I don't want to be there. That to me is a red flag, you know? There are so many jobs that you can take on in this world <laughs> where you can go, I don't want to be there, I'm just there for a paycheck. Yoga should not be one of them. So if you catch yourself going, versus yay, then have a conversation with yourself. It might be time to cut one or two or five classes off your schedule. But balance that out with, with trying to maintain the steady progress in your career of how do I better myself? How do I learn more? How do I study more? And the cool thing I think about yoga is that there's so much to learn that if you want to know more anatomy, 
study it for the rest of your life, you'll never be a pro. There's so much to learn. But if you want to know more about the philosophy, study it for the rest of your life. There's so much to learn. You'll never be a pro. You know, there's board yoga, there's chair yoga, there's seniors yoga, there's, you know, yin yoga. There's so much that just vary it up and that learn as much as you can, but just maintain that passion. Once you figure out that this is too much, then back off, pump the brakes. Yeah. I think that there's kind of a, a culture around yoga is like you do a teacher training and then it's like, okay, I've done this teacher training. Like I should probably go teach now. And it's also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or open a yoga studio. Exactly. And it's like this reminder that there's no like should or have to. That's a really good point. Now, I, you know, I, I want to say that if, if you're teaching yoga, I want to say that if you're doing anything in life, hopefully you're passionate about what you're doing. But I think there are a lot of people that teach yoga because they used it. You know, they go, I love yoga. God, I love yoga. It makes me feel good within my body. I love practicing yoga. But then they don't realize that there's a really big difference in loving the practice of yoga and loving teaching yoga. Those things are completely different. And so to become a yoga teacher in order to teach just to get yourself away from a corporate job or a job that you hate or a job that's, you know, killing you, that's one avenue, sure. But you know, maybe yoga teaching isn't really the, the savior. Maybe it's not what you're actually looking for. You're just looking for an escape. So I think there are a lot of people that, that, you know, leave their corporate job and then they go, now I'm teaching yoga, but they have to pay their taxes. You know, now they're a contractor instead of an employee. They have to pay for their own insurance. Um, they have to jump from, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I teach at this studio, but Tuesdays and Thursdays, they teach at this studio. Saturdays, I have private clients. Sundays, I and they're, they're all over the place. So they jump from, like, basically out of the, out of the, what is the expression? Out of the pot and into the fire, or out of the pan and into the flame, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of catching on as people are going, wow, I used yoga and teaching yoga because I loved the practice as a way to escape a corporate job. And now I realize, three or four or five or 10 years into this, I don't really love teaching yoga. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. It's just a 200 hour teacher training should just show you like, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, what do you want to do with this? And let that be an organic unforced process. Totally. I definitely agree with that. It's so interesting. People do do like a 200 hour and you feel like, Oh, I've got all this knowledge, which you do if you haven't learned before, but then you really don't know very much about yoga. And like, it's, there's just so much, you'll never know it all, which is really, really cool. Um, I love what you said about opening a yoga studio. Cause it's something that we were talking about before the recording is like sort of this idea that you become a yoga teacher and then you open a yoga studio and it's not always exactly what you think it is. Um, could you share your experience in sort of running a yoga studio? Yeah. So, um, that's a really good point. I've actually, I've had a few experiences at, at several studios where I've been just a teacher. I've been a teacher and a manager. I've been a manager and I've pretty much, there's even been a, a, an instance where I've had to step in and like be a teacher, manager, owner and float the whole schedule, <laughs> you know? So I've kind of had, um, uh, a, a little bit of the workings of all of it. And I'm really grateful for all that experience, but it definitely showed me that I never want to own my own studio, <laughs> at least not right now. Um, but you know, as a, as a teacher, you show up and you teach your class. And, and that's the beautiful part of getting to share that, that yoga practice that, that we all love. Hopefully, especially if you're listening to this as a yoga teacher in the business of yoga, you're, you're interested in, in, in sharing. And that is that in and of itself is a noble, admirable, beautiful goal and an aspect of the practice. Um, but being a yoga studio owner 
adds not just one layer to that, but so many layers where, you know, now you have to hire, manage, and potentially terminate people. Now you have to be a boss. Now you have to take, you know, if you're having a, a great time being the fun yoga teacher, now you have to sit down and go over taxes. Now you have to hire a, a, a consultant, to, you know, to go over your, your paperwork and, and you might have to get silent investors. And there's a whole other business side of it that just because you went through a 200-hour teacher training, which almost seems laughable at this point because if I think back to it, while my teacher training was incredibly physical and I learned a lot about, you know, sequencing and anatomy, um, I didn't really have... I mean, I think the business of yoga was like the, whatever the minimum <laughs> was for the requirement was what we got for the business of yoga. So to, to think now to like open a yoga studio after that would be, would be crazy. So you would have to be this, this fantastic yoga teacher that also really, really knows business and is ready to, to make this your child. You know, in uh, yoga studio terms, they say that you should, you don't really even break even until about the third year. It's like having a baby. You know, so if you're opening a yoga studio, um, it's like usually the third year, depending on the area that you're in, that you even start to break even with revenue and with what's coming in versus what's going out. So you essentially cannot leave the studio. You can't go on vacation. It's like having a toddler. <laughs> you know, it takes at least three years before you're even able to like step away and bring a manager in and be like, okay, I need a week off. Because if you do in the beginning, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. And so... I think a lot of people kind of open these yoga studios and go, this is going to be so great. I love yoga. And then get way in over their heads about what that commitment looks like and managing a staff and managing taxes and managing um, retail and what kind of retail sells in your area and then losing themselves and losing their practice and losing the essence of their teaching because now they're stressed about all this other stuff that piles on. So I'm not sure if that was really your question, <laughs> but you know, that's my, my, my thought on it is just, you have to be a really good business person or at least where I've seen, you know, actually success is people that are really good yoga teachers that then open a studio and have someone else run the business side. Like maybe even someone who's not even a yogi, they just know the business that pardon me, the inner workings, and they work as a cohesive team to like, look, I'll be the creative director. I'll handle the yoga class, but you got to get the taxes paid and the money handled and the retail and the blah, 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 blah. I don't want to mess with any of that. And I think that a lot of yoga teachers uh, kind of prefer not to have that responsibility. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be a yoga teacher so they can also like do taxes. <laughs> yeah, that's why I got into it. So I could also do taxes. Um, but, but that's such an essential component of you're running a small business and you have to know those tax codes and you have to know what it is to hire and fire and, and how to hold that space as the leader. And so I don't think that a 200 hour teacher training prepares you for that. In fact, it's, it's such a small part of your training to talk about the business of yoga. I would be surprised if there is a 200 hour teacher training out there that does prepare you for it, because I would imagine it would take you at least 200 hours just to talk about the business of yoga when opening a yoga studio, you know? So I've seen the management side. I like being a manager because I get to have my hands in both sides. I really like being a teacher, but you know, my, my favorite part of it is, is the yoga and I do not have the brain for all that other business stuff. I think it's kind of like anything where, you know, people always say that it's best to stick with what you're good at. And if you're good at being a yoga teacher, you should be doing the yoga teaching aspect of it. And maybe you're good at like the marketing and like the customer service side. But unless you're like a yoga teacher turned accountant or accountant turned yoga teacher, you probably want to hire somebody to do that other stuff for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and not being afraid to, to relinquish a, a, 
an aspect of control. You know, like, sure, it can be your ship, steer the ship, but you got to have deckhands and you got to have people that, you know, you got to have your aces in, your, in their places. And so sometimes with, uh, with owning your own small business, you want to be the one that is in control of everything. And that's unless, like you said, you are an accountant turned yoga teacher or a, an MBA that, you know, now wants to open their own, their own yoga studio. That's really hard to do. So, you know, turn over some of that control and just focus on what you're really, really, really good at. Totally. And so as well as being a part in yoga studios, you've also run a ton of retreats. Um, can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how you started doing that and what that's been like for you? Yeah, that came, again, really, really organically because I was one of my favorite places in the world is Costa Rica. Um, it just has a, a soft spot in my heart where the first time that I showed up, I had never obviously been there before. And I was with my friend Katie and we were on this bus driving to the jungle and I looked at her and I said, some part of me, I don't know what it is, but some part of me feels like I'm finally home. You know, and Costa Rica just has that, that everything's green and lush and the people are so nice and kind. And I've been going for several years to this little uh, rancho kind of hostel on the beach that backs up to the jungle in the very, very, you know, southernmost tip of Costa Rica. And about my third or fourth, maybe my third year there with the owners, um, we have probably, I think, 16 beds total. Well, 16 or 17 beds total. And it's just a hostel where you can come in and it's usually for surfers or just people that are, you know, wandering. And, and uh, I said, it would be nice if we could like rent this out and just have a bunch of a bunch of good friends, a bunch of yogis here. And they're like, whoa, we never thought of having a retreat here. But if we block off the calendar enough in advance, you know, and not let anyone kind of book the rooms, uh, we could potentially have a retreat of just your people here, just, just, you know, yogis here. And then I said, well, you know, where would we do yoga? And they're like, well, what if we built a yoga deck? So this little surf kind of hostel, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Costa Rica, uh, said, what if we build this yoga deck? And if you build it, they will come kind of thing. So they built this beautiful wooden yoga deck that overlooks the ocean. And, uh, they built it, I mean, specifically for us. So I just, I just, I put out there on, I was so scared. I'll never forget. I was so scared about posting for the first retreat. I put it all together, written it up, put it on my website. And I thought no one in their right minds is going to want to go to the middle of Costa Rica with me. It takes, it's, it's like I said, very rural. So it takes a while to get there. It's, it's, you know, if you've never traveled outside of the country, which a lot of people haven't, then it's, it's, it's almost scary. It's intimidating. I thought no one's going to want to do this, but I've got to post about it. And I post about it and Within moments, there were just all these comments and these emails and people were like, yeah, this is great. I want to go. And I've always wanted to really keep things very affordable. You know, I don't have the, the money to just go on these like, you know, lavish vacations. And if you look in a yoga studio, the general class, uh, the, the general demographic of a yoga studio is not representative, dare I say, of the actual population of a lot of places. So, you know, yoga is really one of those things that's very exclusive and though it shouldn't be, it's, it's, you know, welcoming, it's expensive and especially retreats are expensive and not a lot of people have the means to go on these, on these big yoga retreats. And so this was a chance, you know, here's this little surf hostel that's not looking for much. They just want to have fun and, and make this place amenable for, for our guests to come. And so I partnered with them and, and it happened to be friends that really had the same vision of making this work. And we opened it up for registration and it was a full week of, you know, yoga and horseback riding and chocolate making workshops 
and surf lessons and waterfall hikes and all day boating adventure and really what I thought was the essence of like when you go to these places, the culture and what you want to do and the adventures and these these beautiful experiences and I got a photographer to come in because I think it's so nice to put down your phone and not have to worry about that stuff. So I you know, I had a photographer to come in and, and take pictures of everyone and it sold out. And I mean, much to my surprise, it sold out. <laughs> and and it was this fantastic group of people that to this day, we still talk, all of us, at least once a week in the WhatsApp group, and we'll meet up all over the world. If, if you know, if, if I'm filming, you know, yoga classes at Yoga Glow uh, in Santa Monica, there have been several times where two or three or five of them just show up, and we just have this like weekend together, just hanging out in Santa Monica when I'm not working, or Florida, or wherever, just because we've we created those bonds, and that's really what I wanted to do. So the the retreat thing came. You know, people had offered retreats and pitched these really expensive packages, and I just didn't know if I could fill a really expensive retreat, and that wasn't really what I wanted. My heart wasn't in that. So when this opportunity came along to to work with friends, to build something together, and to bring in a group of people that could normally maybe not even afford it, uh, it was so special, and and I look forward to continuing to do that. I just I just got back from you know leading two more uh, last month, and another one coming up in in October. So. Um, that I think will hopefully be something I continue to do, no matter you know you know what I do for the rest of my life. I'll keep throwing these retreats and and meeting people and building these friendships. But that's really what yoga has become for me. Is I, I think you know I mentioned earlier that yoga is no longer physical for me. It's community and it's just hanging out with people and it's how can you bring the yoga into the conversation and how can you bring the yoga into you know the way that you communicate with each other and, and think about each other. And that's a beautiful way to experience this is on these retreats with with these magnificent people that I'm so grateful and blessed to even know, you know, let alone to call my friends. So, uh, yeah, it came, I mean, to relate it back, sorry, I get going on these tangents, but to relate it back to the business side, I'm a, a big believer in doing what what comes organically and putting the time and the effort and the work into it. You know, I didn't just Google throw a yoga retreat or put on a yoga retreat. I had been going to this place for years and finally it was just a vision, a dream that we were sitting down at the table having breakfast and we're like, what if we had a yoga retreat here and we made it happen? Uh, so my experience is very unique, I think, but um, whatever you're doing, especially in yoga, make it authentic and, and let it happen and try not to force it. Make it, you know, put the work in and, and do your due diligence and earn your stripes but it's going to happen as long as your your heart's in it. And my heart was in it. And it's been the most beautiful thing, I think, every year in my life is these retreats and getting to know these people and build these friendships. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about community, too. I feel like community is such an important part of yoga. It's like, I feel like what, so like a lot of the things that are talked about in the like philosophy of yoga is that we're kind of all connected. And then it's like, how can we leave our yoga mat and remember that as we're like, you know, walking down the street or as we buy our coffee in the morning or as we're driving in crazy traffic and that sort of thing. So that's super yeah, cool. Yoga is so than, than what you do on your mat. That's your preparation. That's your, your practice. But then you take that and apply it to the real world and, and off those little, you know, four corners of rubber underneath you. You're absolutely right. That's, that's been the biggest practice, I think, for me. It's just learning how to be a yogi when I'm not a yogi. Totally. I agree with that. Um, could you talk about some of the biggest business lessons that you've learned through running retreats over the last couple of years? Um, retreat specifically? Yeah. Um, and then do you want to go more broad, just business? 
kind of stuff that's because now I got a bunch of ideas zipping through my head about you know teaching yoga in general. But retreats, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely make it like I said organic. You know, maybe go visit a couple places and and if there's a place if there's a place that you go, you know, this is keep in mind that not all yoga retreats have to be like on the beach in Costa Rica. I know a lot of them are right now. All right, but if your favorite place to be is like in the mountains. Uh, or at a cabin in North Carolina, because that's where you go on vacation, you've been going since you were a kid, explore throwing a little retreat and like a cabin, like let it happen organically. I think I'm going to start looking into, you know, now that we live in Georgia, I never thought, I've always lived on the coast, I never really thought of like the mountains as, as my place, but we've been going to the mountains regularly. And I might, you know, start to plan these little weekend retreats. Try a little tester weekend retreat of like get a few of your friends, get a few people together. You know, you can you can fill an Airbnb cabin, you know, as long as it has a little deck to do some yoga and let it start to build, let it happen organically. So absolutely, uh, that would be my biggest tip is take people to a place that you're passionate about because then you're going to be able to explore and share with them what lit you up about that place to begin with, you know? Um, I wouldn't just, bl- I would never just blindly throw a retreat at a place I've never been before. That sounds scary to me. Actually, my blood pressure just like thinking about it. Um, showing up and being like, this is so great, I've never been here before. Because it's not yours, you know? It's not, it doesn't have you in it. It doesn't have your footprint. So so give it yours and give it your heart, I think is probably the really a really big lesson. Um, but also, Recently, now that I've thrown several of them, um, understand that you can never please everyone. You can never please everyone. I'll say that a third time. <laughs> you can never please everyone. Uh, you're going to pour your heart into these things. You're going to pour your heart into your teachings and to building this experience for people. And if there's someone who just doesn't like what you're putting down, that's okay. That is okay. As long as you, you know, accurately portrayed what it was that you guys would be doing. As long as you, um, you know, made your class levels and descriptions accurate to what you actually taught. As long as you represented yourself in such a way that was true and authentic, it's not up to you to please everybody. And that one hurt me more recently when, you know, here's this, to, to get really personal, I, you know, in this last retreat, I taught two back to back and, you know, Costa Rica is this kind of place where, you realize, especially after you get away from like such the Western scheduling, that while you're there, it's almost this essence of you know being more laid back, you know, not having to be so um, committed to to go from point A to point B to point C and just keep going and going and going. There's actually this thing called downtime, <laughs> which is really beautiful. So it was my, you know, I've been there for you know about ten days by the time the second group arrived, and by that point, I was just like. Uh, you know, pure Vita'd out. You just, <laughs> just like blissed out. And so they showed up and, and I tried to, you know, get them to unwind a little bit. And eventually, yeah, as it does, most of them do, but there were still one or two that couldn't let go of, but what's the schedule? What are we going to do? What's tomorrow? Like, are we going to do yoga in the morning? Then we're going to have this venture. And then when's the meal time? And they had to know by hour what was going to happen and when we were going to be in this place and what was happening next and where they should, you know, it was almost like they couldn't let go of of that preconceived notion just to drop into the moment, you know. And it really, I think, affected their their time. And, you know, maybe I could have done, because I always put the reflections back on myself, what could I have done better to serve them? And maybe I could have done better about being like, once you get here, kick your shoes off and relax. That is the essence of this place. And preparing them months in advance, you know, instead of sending them, I mean, I send a packing list. I send everything for them. I could have also put in there like, this is also going to be a retreat that's all about you. And if you don't want to show up for yoga, then sleep in. 
You know, if you want to just read a book in a hammock instead of going on an adventure, read a book in a hammock. And so there were, again, not the vast majority, but one or two that I always personalized things. And, and for a couple of weeks after the retreat, because they didn't have a good time, I felt miserable. I felt terrible that I had let them down until finally some of my friends that had gone on the retreat were like, first of all, this was a fantastic, amazing adventure. We had a blast. And anyone who didn't have a good time, that's on them. So stop bidding yourself up about it. But also realize, like, you can't please everyone. It's not your job to please everyone. And so... I'm still kind of getting over that. <laughs> My heart's still mending, you know, that anyone could, could say that, you know, they didn't have the time of their lives. But do, do your best. And if your best isn't good enough for some people, you got to learn to let that roll off like, like water on a duck. You know, it's, it's not your job to please everybody. Let them come with their own expectations and hopefully they'll get lost in the moment and enjoy themselves. Um, but that's been, you know, so it's so fresh because I just got back, but that has been a really big, hard, hard lesson for me to learn is that you can't please everybody. Um, also, you know, one of the reasons that I can keep this retreat so affordable is because I do all the work myself. You know, I take everyone's money. I plan everyone's adventures. I pay, you know, the people that take us on the horseback riding, I collect all the money and then pay it out to the people that, you know, feed us at the end. And, and, you know, I organize all of it. I have my hands in every little thing because I want that aspect. So, you know, if you find that that part is stressing you out or taking you away from, again, just like owning a studio, actually bring it back to that. You know, if, if, if you're doing too much of the planning and the orchestration and the money and you can't just be the teacher and be what these people wanted you to be when they showed up. Get someone to help you out. You know, tag along with a, take a friend that can tag along and, and put them in charge of like, can you please just handle the activities? Collect everyone's money, handle the activities, and I'll do the teaching part, you know? Um, I think that moving forward is something that I will, I will definitely be doing to kind of lighten my load a little bit. Um, uh, I definitely recommend having a photographer because what I found is that if people don't have someone that they know is going to capture their moments, they spend the entire time behind their phones, you know, and you don't want to realize at the very last day that you've lived this entire retreat behind a telephone screen. Mm -hmm. So maybe look into, you know, I, I, I comp a photographer every year, their stay, their food, their meals, their yoga, all they have to do is bring their equipment and shoot us, capture us and give us, you know, those photos at the end. And I've, I've been blessed to again, meet some really fantastic photographers that, that I will hopefully continue to work with. But that's, that's another probably really good tip that I can think of is, is do your best to lighten your load. This should also be, if you're talking specifically about retreats, this should also be a way for you to, um, to get a little R and R, you know, and to, to really enjoy it while you're there. You don't want to get to the very end and think, God, that blew by because I was handling all the other stuff. I didn't even get to sit and have a conversation with these people, you know? So, um, look for ways to lighten your load, let it come from the heart and realize that you cannot please everybody. Those are probably my biggest three tips with retreats. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and some of your other like business tips, just as being a yoga teacher that come to your mind that we're flying um, through as we were talking. Yeah. So I think that definitely the, the don't please everyone thing that can be applied to teaching yoga as well, totally. whether you're on retreat or, but, um, my biggest probably tip for the business side of yoga is get a good tax person. You know, if you're making yoga, your full-time thing, get a good tax person. Um, someone that knows the, the tax laws and can get you, you know, as a contractor, and I'm speaking just from my experience living as a contractor in the United States, um, you know, 
I didn't know that you could write off things like a certain percentage of your yoga clothes because that's a uniform. You know, I didn't know that you could write off a certain percentage of if you have a yoga studio or like a little room in your home, you can write that square footage off if that's all it's used for or your home office if that's all it's used for. You know, so so get a good tax person uh, and I can recommend one for you if you'd like, but get a good tax person that that knows the the breakdown of look, teaching yoga is a really unique position. It's a really unique contractorship. So how can I take advantage of what is what is right to write off and how can I avoid uh, getting in trouble for what is wrong to write off, you know? And and that's really helped me. I realized yeah, the first couple of years I was doing it all wrong and I had to pay a lot of, you know, different fees and back taxes and, and I just wasn't doing it right. Especially when you travel, then you've got different state taxes, you know? So I, you know, there are taxes for Ohio that are different for taxes for Oregon that are different for taxes for Florida. So, so get a good tax person, someone that can sit down with you and spend time with you and go, look, you know, if you're teaching three or four classes in a day, it's totally within your right. If you're driving from studio to studio to class to, Write off your meal. If you stop and have a sandwich, write that meal off. Keep your receipt and write that meal off. It's going to save you money in the long run. No one ever told me that, you know. So I wasted a lot of money and then ended up having to to reconfigure my business. Um, but that probably, be, as far as the business goes, just the financial side, that's really helped me. And it's take a huge, you know, uh, it's like a pressure release valve of if I can turn it over and go here, are all my receipts. Here's a calculated spreadsheet of what I what I've spent this year just on my yoga business. Please handle it. You know, a good CPA is worth worth their weight in gold. So um, that uh, let's see what else. As far as the business side goes, uh, marketing. Let's talk marketing for a second. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not essential, I don't think, to have a website if all you really want to do is teach at a studio and just maybe you have a full-time job and you want to teach a couple classes a week at a studio. Beautiful. But if you're actually looking to take the next leap and turn this into something that you can maybe make your part your full-time job part-time and teach more yoga, you've got to have a landing strip. You've got to have a place for people to find you. Um, so social media, and we'll get into that in a second because that's a nightmare if you let it be, <laughs> you know, but social media Having a, a website, it could be the most basic thing with just a picture of yourself, what your philosophy is, and a schedule where you teach, and a way for them to get in, in touch with you. You know, and oftentimes something simple like that is free. Um, so have a have a website, and and I've enjoyed. Someone else might, but I've actually enjoyed building my own website because it gives me, you know, another way to tinker with my own business and feel like I'm, you know doing the whole, I'm a small business owner thing. But uh, I did realize at one point when it got to be too much, I outsourced it to a guy that you know was a friend, a neighbor, and he built me a website so that I can have a more professional looking uh, platform. Um, have, a, have a platform, have, a, have a, a Facebook page, maybe have, if you love to share pictures, have an Instagram. Um, my caveat with that though, <laughs> is that social media, <laughs> I hear your giggle. <laughs> with social media, you have to be very careful because it can quickly rule your life and it can very quickly, um, suck the magic out of your yoga, you know? So use your, use your social media to be authentic and to present who you are. And, uh, if it lights you up and if it's yours, share it. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. You know, like post the stuff that if it's you and your yoga practice, post it. Um, if it's you eating uh, a piece of pizza, 
and you just want to share it, post it, you know, and realize that sure, people are going to, some people might be like, oh, what? You're eating gluten, you know, or oh, is that sausage on that pizza? Or are you having a beer, you know? But if that is, if that is who you are, go back to one of those first lessons we talked about, be authentic and do not run from that. If you eat gluten and eat sausage and drink beer with your pizza on a Friday night, I don't think anyone has the right to tell you that you're not allowed to do that and that you shouldn't also be a yoga teacher, you know? Um, that being said, uh, maybe teaching yoga if, you're, if your lifestyle is a little bit out of control and you're at the clubs every night and drinking too much, maybe yoga is – maybe you need to put down the, the, the shot glass and do a little bit more yoga, <laughs> you know? So um, there's a balance there, but, but please don't feel like – like you have to fit any kind of mold on your social media. It's your social media. There's no right or wrong to it as long as it's you. And I think that you'll find that you you draw the attention and the admiration of people who are similarly minded. And I would rather practice with three people in a room that are similarly minded than a hundred people that hate me because I eat pepperoni, you know? <laughs> totally. So. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point. It's like, I don't know. It's something that it feels like there's these social media rules and these rights and these wrongs and these things that we should do as yoga teachers and these things that we shouldn't do. And it's like, am I practicing ahimsa if I eat an animal? And I don't know. There's so much that you can get your mind wrapped, wrapped up around and like worry about. And it's like, I can just be me without any of this. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And, and that, you know, your yoga practice is going to look different from anyone else's yoga practice and you should embrace that. And whether that means you're vegan or vegetarian or you eat meat or you drink alcohol or you even smoke cigarettes, if that's you, I think that yoga kind of drives for us this, this, this intensity that we need to constantly be bettering ourselves. You know, always be bettering yourselves. Progress, progress. And so if that means yoga maybe helps you eventually quit smoking, that's a beautiful thing. If yoga helps you to eat less meat or eat meat that is you know, sustainably sourced that is, um, you know, humanely raised. That's another beautiful thing. But please don't feel like I can't post a picture of me eating a piece of pizza with my friends while I'm bowling because I might lose some followers. If you're going to lose followers, they weren't your followers to begin with, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. I love that. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, is there anything else that, like, when you run trainings or retreats or anything that you pass on to, like, new yoga teachers that you encounter in your life? Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff. If I think about trainings when that comes to mind, I try and work into almost every workshop that I teach that we should be doing other things besides yoga. Um, and let me break that down for a bit before everyone, like, ah, freaks out. Uh, <laughs> um, let me put it this way. In years past, so let's say even just 10 years ago, you know, there are more people practicing yoga now than there were 10 years ago by millions. All right. It has become a new wave, a new, <laughs> a new trend, a new thing that people love to do. It's catching on, you know, it's catching fire. And that's, that's great. That means a job security, <laughs> but B that more people are hopefully awakening. Uh, but let's go back 10 years ago, you know, with fewer people practicing, a lot of the yoga looked like tradition. You know, a lot of the yoga, like we talked about briefly looked like, you know, in an Ashtanga room, let me, as the teacher, crank your foot behind your head, you know, or let me help you into Lotus without ever thinking like maybe your leg doesn't need to go behind your head or maybe you're not ready for Lotus. It was just people taught, and, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, obviously, but the, the, 
more so back then than now, people taught in a way that was traditional. So if their teacher said it, wouldn't even second guess it, boom, I'm going to teach it the same way. And oftentimes to the same verbiage. Flash forward now and we've got more people practicing, which means we have physicians practicing, kinesiologists practicing, physical therapists practicing, uh, chiropractors and massage therapists practicing. So we have people that are bringing their intellect of the human body into the practice, which is awesome. And, you know, we have psychologists practicing. So we're, we're learning, you know, the, now the, the linkage at a scientific level of the linkage between mind and body. So we have all this intellect being poured now into our practice. So in years past, when injuries in yoga might have taken place, they were oftentimes misalignment injuries or injuries because our technique was wrong. Now that we have the intellect, hopefully, um, most of our injuries are overuse injuries. So people that all they do is practice yoga, 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 yoga. Well, when you stop for a second and just look at the, the physiology behind what we're doing in yoga, it is a very, even the most balanced practice I've found, it is a very anterior body strengthening kind of practice, which means that pectoralis, your, your chest muscle, your, your anterior deltoid, the front of your shoulder, um, definitely the, the front, the anterior compartment of your core, think six-pack abs, and your hips get worked. We oftentimes neglect our back bodies. So we neglect our lower back. All we really do for it is stretch in yoga. We don't do a whole lot of lower back strengthening. Um, we definitely neglect our posterior shoulder girdle and our back, our upper back. Um, all we do for that, again, is like eagle arms, which is stretching, not strengthening. And so my, my point here and my you know long-winded kind of point to this is that we should be doing other things besides yoga to make us stronger. Yoga is really good at front body and getting flexible. And when you especially practice things like super hot yoga, then your anterior, let's say anterior compartment of your shoulder is very strong. Posterior shoulder girdle is imbalanced. It's not as strong. Now you're super warm, super limber because it's 110 degrees in the class. You go to reach back and take king pigeon and you wrench your shoulder and, and, and tweak it because of its imbalance. All right. And you're hypermobile in that sweaty environment. So I oftentimes say, and this is for teachers, this is the business side, this is the practitioner side, this is all of it. Please, 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 please do other stuff besides yoga. As a yoga teacher, if it's really easy for you to sit in pigeon, which a lot of us, you know, through years of practice, pigeon has become a pose that we really, really love to just lay in and we can fall asleep in. I challenge you, go run a five or a 10K and then the next day try and teach pigeon again. It will make you a better teacher. It will, it will bring you back to like, oh, that's what it's like to have tight hips, which means now you have another avenue of accessibility to students who come into your class who have tight hips, right? Because maybe they're runners, maybe because they sit behind a desk all day. You know, if yoga teaching is your full-time job, I challenge you to go take a kickboxing class. Get your ass kicked in a different way so that you might go, oh, I learned a new cue for engaging my core that I never would have experienced in crescent lunge. But because I learned it in kickboxing, I can apply it to all my standing, you know, one-legged balancing postures. I want to teach that to my students. It opens your horizon. So not only does it make your body stronger, but it also, it also shows you how to be more accessible when you can feel those tight spots and those sore spots in your own body. And it also opens your, your mind to new cues and to more language and to different aspects of being a well-rounded athlete. I think the biggest mistake that you can make is just to practice yoga all the time. Um, you know, a, a really good weights are awesome for yogis because we tend to get too hyper hypermobile. 
on the same hand, uh, yoga is really good for weightlifters because it brings that balance back to those who are super tight. I would recommend kickboxing. I would recommend rowing. If you can do any kind of rowing, go out and go kayaking on a Saturday morning instead of going to yoga all the time. Go kayaking. And the next day when you feel your shoulder, explore a sequence that relieves that shoulder tightness and that'll make you a better teacher. You know, go running, go skating, um, do other physical things that have nothing to do with yoga and try and find the yoga in those physical things. And then when you get back to your practice, try and find those physical things in your yoga. And that's probably my biggest tip to everyone, whether you're a yoga teacher or a practitioner, do other stuff, do other stuff. Yeah. I think that that's so important. I really, really love that. And I think that it comes back to to what we were talking about before with like having balance. It's like, if you eat pepperoni pizza and have a beer once a week or once a month, like, you know, it's not a huge deal. Just live a balanced life. And it's the same thing with yoga, like find balance within your yoga practice as well. I think too, it's interesting to think about, like, I remember talking to somebody on the podcast who's pretty big into movement and she uses the word yoga to get people into her classes. And then she teaches them how to move in different ways, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> which I kind of love, <laughs> but she was talking about how we constantly push but we don't pull like we do nothing. That's like the pulling action in our bodies yet. It's like, you know, we push up from chaturanga. We push back to downward facing dog. We do so much pushing and no pulling. Yes. And that's what I mean about the posterior shoulder girdle is that's where that comes from is yoga is a pushing, a pushing exercise. I can only really think of maybe one posture, Purvottanasana, that reverse tabletop that actually engages your upper back and your, your, your posterior shoulder girdle. And if you're, if you're not doing, um, one reverse tabletop or reverse plank for every plank, then you're, uh, you're imbalanced. <laughs> you know, if you're not doing one of those for every chaturanga, you're imbalanced. And think how often do you go to a class and the teacher's like, yeah, we're going to hold reverse tabletop for just as long as we hold all the other poses in our practice. Never, never. That sounds terrible as well. It's like, even when teachers are like, we're going to hold it for 10 breaths. I'm like, oh God, I hate this, <laughs> which is probably why. <laughs> That's why you probably practice flow and not hatha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, but I just have one more question for you. If you are cool with that. Of yeah. um, I'm curious what, if there's one piece of advice you could give yourself. So like Taylor, back when you first started teaching yoga that you know now that you didn't know then, what would that piece of advice be? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, let me think. Let me teleport myself back in time for a second. Um, I think I need to give myself two points in time because when I first started teaching, keep in mind, I didn't want, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on teaching. I wasn't planning on this being my full-time career. So that would be my first point in time, um, where I would give myself a tip and that tip would be learn as much as you can and dive into this without any fears or concerns of your own physical body in terms of what you look like, your, you know, your, your confidence about maybe, you know, in years past, I've, I've, I've not again felt as athletic. So maybe starting to earlier on, let that go. You don't have to have six pack abs to be a great yoga teacher or to, to really love what you do. You know, maybe, um, just, dive into this and learn and not be held back by your fears or your concerns of success or failure. You know, just let this be it. Let this be a process of, of exploration. And there, you're always going to have that little voice in the back of your head, but the best thing you could do is to learn to silence that 
you know, when that voice pops up and says like, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good looking enough, you know, you're not flexible enough, your handstand's not perfect enough, you're, you're like all these things, practice silencing that voice. I would have told myself way earlier on, practice silencing that and just, just learn, just learn. And then I think the next point is when I finally decided, okay, now I'm going to make this my career. I'm going to get off the ambulance. I'm going to do this for a living, um, at least for now. Um, how am I going to make a living doing this? I think I would have reminded myself to have fun. Yeah, to have fun. Because that first leap of, oh, no, where's my next paycheck coming from? Oh, no, how am I going to find more private clients? Oh, but I'm letting go of my health insurance because it's attached to my job. Oh, no, like all those 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 pressured sensations, they eventually, with enough time and, and energy, yes, they resolve themselves, but I almost lost myself in that. I, I lost what it was to, to enjoy teaching, you know, and to, to have fun teaching. So, so just have fun with this and realize that the reason that you're becoming a yoga teacher is to get away from the stress, not to just take on stress of a different type. And granted, with every job, there's stress. So my job, my stress now looks like I have to travel, so I have to be on a plane all the time. You know, I have to promote myself on social media, which is something I can't stand doing. I have to, you know, make sure that registrations for my class, even a month or two months ahead of time, are going well. I have to. It, there's there's this stress and there's this pressure. I have to pay my own taxes. I have to, you know, but that is part of the job. I would much rather have that stress than have the stress that I had before. You know, so, so maybe don't just blindly step into it thinking there's not going to be any stress, but realize the reason that you're becoming a yoga teacher, still talking to my former self, Taylor, <laughs> is because you're trying to get away from this particular kind of stress that you recognize is killing you. You know, it's toxic. And have fun with this. Not everyone gets to say that they're a yoga teacher. And if that's your job, have fun with this and own that and be like, yeah, I'm a yoga teacher, which means I get to, you know, uh, on days where I'm not teaching, I get to sleep in. I get to take my dog for a walk. I get to, rather than waking up to an alarm, I get to wake up to his big sniffy snout, you know, licking my face and I get to have a cup of tea and meditate in the mornings. So enjoy that rather than trying to look for the next thing, which I still have to remind myself actually to this day is, you know, Today, I, I actually today I woke up to exactly what I just described: is is my dog sniffing me and licking me, and I had my tea, and I got to sit and meditate and wonder what I wanted to have for breakfast. And that's a really, I chose that. I forget sometimes that I chose that lifestyle, and I don't oftentimes think that I deserve it or that I, I that I I, I still feel like I, sh I have to be doing something. There's something I have to be doing. What should okay? I have to and and I create these lists of things that like what what's next? What's next? What's next? I have to fill my day when really reminding myself, I, I need to remind myself that the reason you're a yoga teacher, one of the beautiful things about the, your schedule is that you don't have to have that kind of stress. You don't have to have that kind of go, 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 go. Live in this. You chose this lifestyle, so live in this and stop trying to bring back that other stress into now, into what is now this, this, you know, gorgeous piece of peace that you've built for yourself. So have fun with it. That's beautiful. That's a good reminder for myself as well. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> if you're a yoga teacher and if you're out there and you're listening and you're a yoga teacher, enjoy being a yoga teacher. You built this lifestyle so that you wouldn't have to have that other stress. So just enjoy it. Enjoy those, you know, being able to go meet up with a friend for lunch or going on a walk or, you know, enjoy your downtime. Enjoy not having to enjoy that part of your job is that you get to go to a studio and practice. And this is technically 
you know, showing up for work, <laughs> training. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, cool. Uh, is where can people find you if they want to learn more uh, about what? you? Now I'm at home. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, people can find me uh, TaylorHarkness.com. Uh, Taylor Common Spelling T A Y L O R. Harkness is. I don't like to say this because I feel like I'm such a bright, positive person, but it's like darkness. So Harkness is like darkness, but with an H, H-A-R-K-N-E-S-S. So TaylorHarkness.com, um, all of my schedule, my travel schedule, you know, my upcoming stuff is on there. Retreats are up there. If you'd like to join me on a retreat, um, they're a blast, and and they're probably unlike any other retreat you've ever been on. Lots of adventures and lots of downtime. Um, and just look for me in a, in a city near you, maybe. Also, I teach on Yoga Glow, which is a really cool service if you've never heard of it. It's Yoga Glow without a W, so yogaglo.com. And it's yoga that you can do anywhere, no matter where you're at. So if you're traveling full-time and let's say you're in a hotel for work, you can pull it up and practice with some of your favorite teachers and you know, you can do it from your home and yoga teachers out there. It's a really great way to just stay inspired and to, you know, creep up on other people's sequencing and their ideas. You're welcome anytime to, uh, to use whatever I put up there on yoga club. <laughs> anytime. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Taylor. I really appreciate it. It was amazing to talk to you. <laughs> thank you so much for thanking you for having me. And, you know, hopefully, um, I'll, I'll talk to you again pretty soon. Yeah, definitely. So I hope that everyone enjoyed the interview with Taylor as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Uh, he's got such a light, bubbly personality and such a fun way of just making an interview not interview-like at all. It's more just a conversation between two people who have the same interests, which is something that I really, really love about being a podcast host. And as he said on the podcast, you can find more about him at taylorharkness.com. And I'll put a link to that on the show notes, which you can find at www.mbomyoga.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter, read about all the new blog posts and everything like that on the website, find out everything new and exciting. And I do have some big announcements and big changes kind of coming up in the next episode or so. So stay tuned for everything that's new for MBO. And as always, thanks so much for listening and namaste.